Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So thanks everybody who listened to my last episode, which was on the anime film Fireworks. Last time I teed that I was doing something else, but I didn't want to say it out loud because I was afraid somebody would hear it. Buy tickets before I could get to them. But now that I have tickets, I can say it out loud and it's going to happen on Sunday, so it's gonna come true um i am going to see one of my favorite movies not even anime movies one of my favorite movies of all times in theaters thanks to the studio ghibli fest which they do every year in new york city they you know get all the studio ghibli movies and they and now studio ponuk movies and they show them in theaters which is a lot of fun because I had the opportunity of seeing, um, what's it, of uh, seeing Spirited Away when it came out in theaters. I went into New York, um, when I was a kid with my mom, and we saw Spirited Away in, in theaters as, in all of its glory, which was amazing. So I've had the experience of seeing, like, a big, beautiful Studio Ghibli movie, uh, as big as it can possibly be before. But, um, I'm going to see Princess Mononoke in theaters. I'm not sure if I said the words Princess Mononoke. And, I mean, I, I'm ecstatic that I get to go do this because that, I probably did a bad job explaining this on the podcast that I talked about Princess Mononoke, which you can go and you can check out. Although, really, I don't do it justice. I just kind of gush about it for a straight hour. Um, also, it's early in the podcast, so the sound quality's not great. When I was a kid and I had my first like summer job, which was actually my first two summer jobs right before I left to cop, like before I went to college, actually my first summer job, not my first two summer job, but my first summer job. I would watch this movie. I would start the movie. I would come home. I'd put the movie in. I think I put the... I might have put the cassette tape in. No, I think I put the DVD in. And I'd pa- I'd watch it until I fell asleep. And I'd, fin- I'd wake up and finish watching it. Or I'd watch the next part the next day. And that was daily for weeks. For most of the summer, probably. I can... I can. It is one of the few movies that I can quote front to back with very little trouble. And uh, I'm so happy I finally get to go see it in a theater. I mean, I could, you know, make a makeshift theater, hook up my projector hook up one of the nine ways I have to watch this friggin' movie because I love it so much. I own it in all the ways, and I could watch it that way, but no, I get to go see it in gorgeous surround sound on a giant screen in New York with a bunch of other people. It's gonna be... It's gonna... I like. I, I know that I'll come away with that from that thing being like, holy shit, Wow. So I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's, you know, it's already Friday by the time you're hearing this. And even maybe Sunday at 12.55 by the time you're hearing this. So I'll, uh, 
I'm getting it. I'm I'm doing it, and it makes me really happy. Um, but we're not talking about that today, and we're not talking about movie today. Today we're back to a show, and that show is Hina Matsuri. Before I dive into my thoughts about Hinamatsuri, I want to give you, the listener, my experience watching the first episode, since it's it's a unique first experience of an episode. And I think it's really important to kind of run through just it as a thing, because I think it encapsulates a lot of the way the show as a whole goes. And it having just finished the show yesterday or yesterday when I'm recording this which is third day but having just finished the show upon recording this yesterday it makes it makes this big loop back around that you're not expecting in a really significant and awesome way and I and explaining the first episode helps you understand that so we open up a, to this show with the Kung Fu fight in the streets of China. And if you've read the synopsis of this show or seen any of the pictures of this show beforehand, you're like, wait, what? Wait, what? Huh? Like, you half expect them to, like, zoom out in and be on a TV somewhere. But they don't. They just hard cut to this luxury apartment in somewhere in Tokyo and this yakuza who who's on a fo- who's on a phone call with another with another member of his organization or his yakuza family and he says yeah that piece sold for a lot of money i think i think you can see what i'm trying to go for and how i'm valuable to the organization and the thing you notice about this yakuza is he's surrounded by pottery. And the pottery is just, like... Yeah, you get the sense that pottery, that pottery is what he really loves. 
just and being in the yakuza allows him to yes have to makes him have to sell some of it but he loves collecting it so he spent the equivalent of millions of dollars on just like really nice fucking pots and he'd like underlit them and like displays them cut hilariously enough kind of the way that you would display an anime figure maybe and he's just like enjoying this like badass yakuza baffler life and he sits down with wine as as you do when you are a badass yakuza just made a shit ton of money for you and your associates And in the background, you just see a swirling fucking spiral storm cloud. And a giant metal egg with a red button and a face just fucking descends from this thing. Smacks him on the head and falls on the floor. And it, it should be noted that the button is in the back. But the face... It's in the, it, what I will call the front of the egg. And he's just like, what the fuck just happened? And he stares at this egg for a while. And he tries to ignore it. And he goes away. And he comes back. And she's like, could you let me out? And he's just like, what, what, why? He's like, please let me out. He's like, okay, how? And she explains that he needs to, like, push the red button and it'll let her out. So he (laughs) kicks it over with his foot, drop kicks the button, like, jams his heel on the button, and the egg explodes, turns into a little red ball that, like, bounces off, that, like, just sits on the floor until the next episode when something, when basically he gets trapped in it for a whole day and soaks in his own pee. But that happens later. But this girl was in the egg. And the girl's name is Hina. And she's she's the character the series revolves around for most of it. There is an ep- There are episodes devoted specifically, at least one, to other characters. Actually, there are whole episodes that are really devoted to other characters. But it's revealed that Hina has, like, Akira-level psychic powers. And she's also an absolute sociopathic, sociopathic asshole. Like, I... But the thing... <clears throat> that happened in this show from the first episode on is they introduce a lot of really great comedy, a lot of really just amazing physical gags. Like, uh, uh, yes, some of it is totally absurdist humor because they have these, like, three little girls with psychic powers on... For no reason. It's alluded to, and one of the best things about this show is that it makes clear that there is a reason that these little girls with psychic powers show up, like, in this universe. 
but it never fucking explains what that reason is. I, well, it, it, actually, that's not true. It, it gives you little hints. Like, basically, it says that the the idea is that these little girls are probably human weapons, but Hina was too ill-tempered and too much of an asshole. So they shot her to another dimension. They didn't care where she went. And eventually, a girl named Anzu shows up. Anzu is another little girl with psychic powers, and she can't... She's sent to assassinate Hina, basically. Like, the whatever universe Hina came from got super nervous and was like, oh, what if she finds her way back and kills us all? Which, you, you led to believe is a thing that Hina is capable of. Um, but... They... So they send Anzu, and Anzu ends up... Ends up basically... Ends up because she is too polite to go ask to stay at Nita's house. Who... who so, the way this eventually works is Nita becomes... Hina's at first caretaker, and then he just straight up her dad. <laughs> and not, and I use the word dad because father with seriousness that uh, not only does the show not have, but this like them as a relationship, as like a father da- father figure daughter daughter figure relationship, don't have. I would also suggest a lack of affection that they don't that they do have at points, but it's any sense. And so Anzu eventually becomes homeless. And this show, this comedy show, takes you through the life of basically t- spends a couple episodes taking you through the life of a homeless person. And that's really amazing. And this show does a lot in that vein. It takes you through this girl, there's a side character whose name is, I'm looking at the, the side character. Oh, come on. It's the only one you don't have. Yeah, I guess. Look at that. Weird. Oh, wait. Show all. View all. Um. Side character named. I forget her name, and she's not on here, but she's Hina's classmate. And she is. This. She's a constant overachiever. And eventually, because she just says yes to things, and she says, okay, I'll do things, she ends up being a bartender at this, like, small, tiny bar run by this woman named Utako, who is this, like, she's not, uh, necessarily, oh, her name's, um, Hitomi. So Hitomi ends up being a bartender along with this woman, Utako, who is this 
adult kind of she she is this fuck up who managed to own a bar so and she just kind of makes um Hitomi agree to be a bartender and Hitomi turns out it turns out has an amazing aptitude for kind of everything but in this case making drinks and the, the episode that's all the episode that is mostly about since usually what they do in these episodes is they tell two little vignettes it's not like a cartoon network episode where they do a smash where they do a um eye catch in the middle of them but they do a good job and this show does a really good job of it of telling one vignette and then like slowly weaving you into the next vignette um and in a way that you know Oh, this little story is ending and this little story is starting. Um, but he told me, like, as a character, they, sh- they show this, they, they show this girl who just says yet, yes to everything. Eventually, like, all but leaving high school, gets moved out, gets her own apartment, gets, like, five part-time jobs has a fucking panic attack, and then, like, gets offered big positions at big companies, and it's all because the way, like, permission structures set up with at least her and and the adults in her life, no one has the balls, except actually for Nita, Although he doesn't do it. To just say, like, no, she's only 16. And maybe she doesn't want to do this, but doesn't know how to say no politely. Um, and it's just... just For a comedy show, it is really hard to swing from... Really funny to really dramatic and to really serious. And they have... A real knack in he in Hinamatsuri for just balancing that just right and getting it just right. Like they have a scene where Nita is spinning Hina around and he bashes her ankle into a into like a corner of the apartment, and she's got a broken leg. But Nita finally had a date with Utako because he had been madly in love with her for most of the series up to that point, and this like gag comes back around because he's so worried about her that he says, you know, I, I could... That kind of great... It, it is a gag that then they take and they turn into a dramatic moment and you feel bad for all of the characters involved because with the possible exception of Utako because... Most of the Yakuza in this show, they're not like Gokudo, which is a show about a Yakuza heiress who basically tries to be a teacher, but where all the Yakuza are really just kind of like loving assholes. They're like... It's like, they're probably really bad motherfuckers, 
but not while they're on screen, if that makes any sense. Like, you get the, you get the strong sense that there are characters in this show who are just going around shivering, shivering some fuckers. And then they come up, and they just, like, they, like, they, as they come into frame, they just jam the knife into the side of the wall, and just, like, they're all clean and nice and happy. <laughs> which is, which is really, really pretty, pretty fucking good, because it's nice that you see these you see these Yakuza characters who are not developed as stereotypes. They developed as bad people, but still people. They're not their term. Cartoon caricatures of what people believe Yakuza to be. They're probably much closer to the real deal. Because they have a, they have a story about how Nita got into being a Yakuza. And... It sounds pretty sane, and it sounds pretty tame compared to the idea of, like, man, I, when I was a kid, I just wanted to steal cars, and the Yakuza let me steal cars more. No, he was like, I got a job, and then my job had Yakuza ties, which is not, which is easier than you'd think. I would have worked at a real estate agency, and that had Yakuza ties. It's a lot easier than you think. So I got involved in that, and now here I am with a giant scar on my forehead because my mentor smacked the shit out of me with an with an ashtray one time. But um, they <laughs> they take this show and they use the comedy a dad and his adopted daughter who is a jerk. <laughs> And all and this whole cast of characters they develop around them, um, but more on that in a little later because I want to take you on a journey back to when I was describing the first episode about twenty five it twenty five twenty one ish minutes ago, and that journey is back to the first. Kung Fu fight scene because other dimension wants Hina back because they've decided she's improved and they can use her again or whatever. And they send a character who is like a terrible secret test proctor to like test Hina to see if she's suitable for returning. And that's a whole thing, which is funny and stupid in its own way because as you're watching this teacher you're thinking about Hina in the back of your mind, like, oh no, she'll definitely, like, do something assholey. Like, she'll steal this umbrella. Kind of stunned at how natural and normal and also kind that she's become from the first episode. And then they send another psychic girl who you have very little interaction with. And, this, and the reason... Basically, she, not basically, she winds up on a desert island off the coast of what you find out to be China. Um, and she is so lonely that she creates a Hina and an Aizu out of coconuts and hangs out with them for like a year or something. <laughs> and then builds a raft and sails somewhere and she gets to China 
and they spend not not an entire episode, but uh, like a prologue, close to probably I want to say maybe fifteen minutes, maybe ten fifteen minutes, telling her story about how she left the island, got to China, was homeless in China, rode on the top of a train, got to like Shanghai, became a martial arts master. And then met this rock and roll dude who performed a street performance one time with Hina when Hina was homeless because Nita kicked her out. And then in the process of wanting to find Hina and tell her, like, handle her that she lost her ball, which is the little, like, egg thing that all these girls come out in. She... Gets into a kung fu fight so she can escape from the martial arts dojo who is championing her as, like, the. It's not just the whole series, but it's not like only makes you if you watch literally, like, the whole series, because her little thing is kind of in the middle, and it's this sad little vignette that you're, like, hopeful for, because you think, like, or just random fucking islands. So, you're like, oh, she's coming to Japan now. This is going to be great. It's going to be more psychic fights because those are hilarious. Um, but, even for it, they give it a natural way to grow still. They, like, they create a world where you're still happy make, like, being in it and you would look forward to being in it again instead of just cut, making a hard cut and being like, this is the end of the series, we might make more. It's a lot more open, which is really fantastic. Because, like I said before, lots of really great comedies, um, struggle with not the comedic angle. The comedic angle they knock out of the park. Struggle with managing the dramatic elements of comedy. And something that tries to do that a lot, especially in anime, is romantic comedies. And there's a love to lots of this show. It's that isn't achieved by a romantic comedy dash funny like Love Hina, for example. Because Love Hina, the emotional bullshit they try and shove in everywhere on top of, like, this bad sex comedy they pile on top of everything makes it all feel kind of pointless. Because you're told pretty early on, okay, this is the girl he's going to marry, and then these other six bitches you don't need to worry about. Or, But then they try to come back and say, or do you? And it, it's... And part of this is because this show is not about romantic love. It's about familial love, and it's about love as it's it's about unconditional love 
that you earn through friendships and through kinships and all that other stuff. And there's a slight change that they make to the show to reflect something in the that happens in the plot that I didn't catch until I think the last episode. So every time the show the opening of the show plays, you see all these characters and then you see at the end of the sort of like one of the final shots is Hina running up to Nita and to Utako as and it's positioned to you as if they are a couple, as if they if not married, they are really close and a couple. And in the show, at the point at which they change that, is the episode after Otaku basically goes on a date and then rejects Nita. And Nita just kind of gets over it. Like, he, he achieved the dream of going out with the hot bartender at the bar he always goes to. And it didn't work out. It, it's life. Stuff doesn't always work out. This, and this show makes a great job of saying, like, uh, sometimes you just end up homeless. The amazing... They take... From that point on, they take Utako, I think, almost completely out of the opening. You still know that she's there because they show... She, the bar is a... She's less prominent. And that... And in the episode where Nita and Utaku ultimately go on a date, Hina becomes obsessed with the idea of Utaku being her new mom. And is too. And then once that doesn't happen, both of their opinions of not only her, but of their lives change. And it's that's a really complicated thing to get right. And it's a really complicated thing to not make a world, to not make it into a world-ending event, because they basically continued to make Otako look like this super shallow and totally artificial person, which they do at certain points. They certainly do, especially when it comes to like the way she deals with Helmi. And basically forces Hitomi into getting an apartment. Um, but the they the way they approach it is like I said earlier in this in this podcast. They show her have a real moment of I don't know if there's room for me. I and th- the way she says that. It makes you understand that she really, she really cares about Nita, and she really, she also really cares about Hina, and she really does have feelings probably for Nita, and you you see that as the show goes on, you see that she is more personal with him and more. She she is closer to him than most of the other characters in the show. And part of that is for comedy's sake. Part of that is so they can have 
Nita be the straight man in situations where Otaku's like a weird, wayward soul, crazy person. Um, which definitely happens. But part of it is, it's made clear, is because there's something that was lost there. But unlike in other shows where they use that to hype up melodrama, they just let that exist in the in the air around the show. In, in, as kind of, they pour it as more water under the bridge. That's a really, it takes a really talented story. It takes a really well-written story to be able to do that and then not have to say it and make it conveyed through action, make it conveyed through everything. I, I just, I, and like I said, shows like Love Hina or even like Ranma or Meidana Koku or most of freaking Ra- Rumiko Takahashi's catalog, they rely on, in many cases, the same kind of comedy but they do it so... They do it with such empty... Consequences... That it doesn't... It does When you follow Ranma... You do get the sense that Ranma... And... Akane love each other. But it's not... There's no tenderness to it. It you get you get the sense they love each other in the way that you know Ryan Reynolds loves whoever in like the notebook or whatever. And yes is feels much more grounded and much more authentic and therefore feels weightier than a relationship in your typical romantic comedy. It uh, Another great example of this is actually um, that show Tomiko Market. It's an old... It's a... At this point... I think it came out in like 2000. So that show is cute girls doing cute things. The show, basically. But in that show, there's a character who, I think named Mushido, who has an insane crush on Tamako, the main character of the show. And he never acts on it. And eventually, I think there's a movie where he does act on it. But the way that he exists with that there is the way that kind of, this show exists with all of its characters and all of their relationships intertwining constantly. Uh, Another great um, version of this is not so much Naruto, although a lot of shonen shows actually handle romance, like the romance parts of them pretty well. Um, For the most part. I'm not going to say all of them, definitely, because Goku is a monster. He shouldn't have a child. He's a terrible dad. But, um... 
the the way they handle relationships in a large scale shonen cast show like My Hero Academia, which is the most current answer. But they kind of dole that out in chunks so it feels more natural and it feels more earned. But they don't they never just straight up deny that it exists and they give you real reasons to attach to it why why they might like each other. Not just, oh, he's cute. No, like in Araka's case, he wants to be like she wants to be more like Deku. She wants to achieve the same things he can. And in Deku's case, he really admired her honesty and her, because through her saying, I just want money, that is refreshing in a way. And he he is kind of stunned by that and that felt feeling for her. But, so that's the difference between somebody hit you with them towards each other. And that's really what gives Hinamatsuri this great anchor to build, to like, build up, swim up and build a boat, or, and build a boat around confidently, and a boat where they can make, not have any real jokes, or have jokes that are like, these weird cutting jabs that nobody expected. And that's, I, I mean, that's really kind of the really powerful thing about uh, not just a good show, but a good comedy. Because shows and good comedies can kind of prove that they can do anything. And Hinamatsuri proves regularly that it can do anything. It's really similar to a show like um, One Punch Man. One Punch Man has the ability to tell like, when it wants to, although it doesn't usually want to, these really touching, amazingly heartfelt stories. It also has the ability to, like, tell a story about the strongest man in the history of ever. Because, like this show, I encourage you to subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, literally everywhere. I am literally everywhere. You can subscribe to it where you can you can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to podcasts is what I'm gonna say. Um, you can leave me a rating on any of the things. Um, five star ratings are the only form of rating accepted at this time. We'll update you on that in the future. Although I can tell you from a personal standpoint that I will accept nothing but five stars, no matter how hard you try. And then um, you know, tell your friends. Be like, hey, there's this guy who rants about anime online on a podcast. Maybe you should listen to him. But until then, you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio. I have been Alex, and I will talk at you next time.